Hey, actually, I want to do something a bit spontaneous. My wife is actually out of town. She, it is her birthday today. So next week you can all say happy birthday. It's that, it's one of those big ones. It's not a hundred. It's not zero. Somewhere in between. Anyway, I'm not going to tell you because that would not be appropriate for me to tell you. So you don't know. But anyway, she is visiting her mom uh, over in California. And she and I talked today and Um, One of the things that we believe the Father wants to do through this time of fast is that he wants to bring some breakthroughs. He wants to answer prayers in, in just unique kinds of ways. And so I would like you to be thinking, and if there's a couple of you that have had some kind of a cool thing that's happened already, a a prayer request that was very special, something that's just you're hearing God better, something like that, just raise your hand. Anybody had anything like that going on during this time already? Cool. Okay. I'm going to share one. And if any of you might be willing to share that, if one of the others of you would come up, that would be great uh, to do that. Um, We had a kind of a sad situation that occurred a number of months ago for our family situation. I'm not free to kind of divulge circumstances because, you know, sometimes that's personal for varieties of people and things. But anyway, we had somewhat of a sad situation. And on the evening of the first day of the fast that was turned around. And uh, a very, very exciting, very, very special thing for us and especially Claire and I. So that was like, wow, hey, this is cool. Let's do this again. Anyway, somebody else. Jeanette, would you, would you share what yours is? Well, we have a rather sad situation going on in our family, which actually has been going on for about four years now, and there's uh, just lots of things involved. But what used to happen to me when I heard from my son was that my guts would feel like they were going to fall out. You know, you ever feel like that? It's just this wrenching inside, and I'd be so sad and so overwhelmed with the pain and the agony. Well, we started the fast. We haven't heard from our son since June. And then last night, there was an email from him. And what I observed was... I really felt compassion for him, but not that destruction inside me. And I praise God for that. Thank you. That's cool. Anyway, be paying attention. And, you know, if things like this are occurring to you during the week, you know, give Clara or I a shout. We would really like to be sharing these things as, as we go along. On the last day after the fast uh, is over, which is, I think, the fourth Sunday in February, uh, we'll do kind of a bunch of testimonies, and so we'll kind of build some up, but would like to be sharing uh, some along the way. So hopefully that will be uh, helpful to you. Um, last week we started uh, a new series that is somewhat of an extension of what we've been doing, but uh, more, a little bit more targeted, particularly called the Keys to Kingdom Living. And we saw and have talked about really over the months, uh, but particularly last week again, that Jesus came to do battle with Satan and to establish the rule of God where the rule of Satan had been. If we look around our world, we are very, very aware that something's wrong. Anybody agree? I mean, there are some things that are good. 
there are some things that are right that are going on. But there are a lot of wrong things. And that came as a result, as we all know, way back at the time of the fall when humankind said, you know what? I think I got a better idea. I think I'm going to do this. And look where it's led us, the mess that we're in. So Jesus came to turn that around, to do battle with Satan, to establish the rule of God where the rule of Satan had been. The Apostle John underlined this in 1 John 3, 8, where he says, The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And, of course, ultimately, death itself through his death and resurrection. We also saw last week, as we talked about it, that Jesus, like any good general, had a war strategy. And in stage one, Jesus himself announced and then demonstrated the good news of God's kingdom's rule while his followers watched and learned. Jesus declared, told about the great things of God, this, the kingdom of God is here, and he demonstrated it. He did it. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He walked in water. Those things were the demonstration of the declaration. Then in stage two, Jesus commissioned his disciples those who had been with him, watching, learning, to now do what they had seen him do, to now say what they had heard him say, to announce and demonstrate the good news of God's kingdom rule. And there's a story in the in Luke, I think it is, where after Jesus had sent out the 72 in the commission, and they come back and they say, hot dog, Jesus, it works. We did it too. The demons even obey us. And so we see this pattern of stage two warfare where now the disciples are doing it. They'd watched and thought, hey, that's really cool he did that, but I can't do that. But now they're doing it. And then Jesus declared stage three of his warfare where he declares in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that all of us, his followers, will continue to expand and further his ministry by going into all the world, announcing and demonstrating the kingdom, recruiting new workers and soldiers and training them to do what Jesus did. And so we too now are called and commissioned to do the same, to declare and to demonstrate, to announce and to do. In Acts 1 and 2, Jesus describes how they're going to do this and how we're going to do it, the same way he was, commissioned by the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit, beginning in our homes, our neighborhoods, and then expanding to the rest of the world. Now, If it was, in fact, Jesus' intention that we as his followers would, in fact, follow in his footsteps, going into the world, announcing and demonstrating the kingdom, recruiting new workers and soldiers, training them to do what he did, how can we do this more effectively? How can we, like those disciples, be able to come back to church on a Sunday afternoon and say, Hot dog, it worked this week. Cast out a couple demons. Raised a couple dead people. His car was car wrecked, person was laying there, pulled blood. I went over and said, in Jesus' name, and they go, it got up. I mean, that's what Jesus did. Funeral, walking by. Jesus raised his hand, the little boy gets up. It was his intention that we do the same. But we're not seeing that. If we're not seeing that, then what's up? How can we see that? How can we participate? How can we be involved in that? It's not just for the elite. It was not just for Jesus. The 72 came back and said, we're doing it. They're doing it. And that's been exemplified throughout church history. I took a course in seminary called Signs, Wonders, and Church Growth. 
Pastor John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard, taught it at Fuller Theological Seminary. It's how I got involved in the Vineyard. And one of the things he did in that material was show us through church history, era after era, time after time, of seasons of signs and wonders, miracles and healings. They have they never stopped. There is a theological uh, dispensation that suggests that they ended, um, but it's not true. They continue and they continue today. Jesus has a plan. There is a way and a means by which he wants us to do this more effectively, to do it more regularly. Throughout the Bible, especially in the life and ministry of Jesus, are what I call kingdom principles or keys to kingdom living that he has given to us to help us accomplish what he intends for us to do. Remember the words of Jesus to his disciples, Matthew 16, 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So last week we began this process of what are some of these keys. And the first one that we talked about was the need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus did what he did as a man empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now we don't often think about that. We often think about him being God. Raised the dead because he was God. He healed the sick because he was God. He walked on water because he was God. But Paul tells us in Philippians that Jesus set aside his deity and lived a life as a servant in the flesh as we. And so he did those things as a human being, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. We see his baptism at the very beginning of his ministry. He has a water baptism and at the same time the Holy Spirit baptism that comes upon him. And so we saw and looked at that we too are to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the only way we're going to be able to do these things is the kingdom principle, the kingdom key of being empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk more about how that works itself out with spiritual gifts in the weeks to come. Secondly, last week, we talked about the key of submitting to the will of God. Jesus, as we look through his life in every situation, he made a choice to obey and do the will of God. At one point, we looked at and said Jesus was caring for and ministering to an outcast young, uh, young woman. And um, he sits down, his disciples come out and say, would you like some food? And he said, my food is to do the will of the Father. And then, of course, in Gethsemane, there's the account where Jesus is facing this incredibly uh, tormenting day of the crucifixion, the beating and the, um, the scourging that's going to go on. And he says to the Father three times, Father, is there any way? <laughs> is there any way we can get out of this? And, but three times he completed his sentence with, but Father, your will, not mine. And we said that that is a key principle, that in the circumstances and choices, when we're standing in front of friends or family or people on the street or driving our car, that little slogan, what would Jesus do, is a great little slogan. It sounds trib, but at the same time, it is effective and it can be. If we, if we can pause, somebody speaks a word to us and rather than just responding out of our gut responses, we pause and say, what would Jesus do? What is the will of the Father? Father, what, how do you want me to respond back? It's real life situations. It's a key to being more effective and to seeing people helped and benefited. Instead of trying to reign over our own kingdoms and lives, instead of exercising our will according to what we think is best, We simply respond and make decisions based on what God thinks is best. 
And by doing this, we are receiving and accepting and submitting to God's grace and His mercy. We're welcoming His leadership and the opposite of doing what we think is best. God, what is best in this situation? This afternoon, I want to look at another key to the kingdom living. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have not left us alone to figure this thing out. You have not left us without tools to follow in Jesus' footsteps. But I think way too often we have forgotten to put on the tool belt. We have forgotten to prepare our mind for the day to consider, Father, what is it that you would have me do today? Father, is there just out of all the things I need to do at work and with my family and and, and getting stuff done, Lord, is there something particular that you would like me to be aware of that you would like me to do or be alert to? Help us, Father, to begin to walk in these principles, to be able to apply them in our lives that we might follow in the footsteps of Jesus, that we would be those who come back on Sunday afternoons or come to our community groups and let me tell you what happened this week. Father, thank you for this opportunity to fast. Thank you that we are um, attempting in a way that you have set forth throughout the centuries, throughout the scriptures as a way to uh, set aside something of ourselves, to deny ourselves, to exercise an opportunity to pray, to engage you, to seek you. And I thank you for these, uh, the praise reports are mentioned today, Lord, and the others with the hands that went up. And I ask for many this week. Lord, as we set ourselves aside, even in these simple ways that seem probably futile or trivial, Lord, we offer them as unto you as holy worship. Father, for our guests that are here today, I ask that they would meet you today. That they would hear in these words your good news. Father, I ask that you would just uh, dismantle um, any argument, any uh, confusion, any antagonism that's here. And that your Holy Spirit would reign and rule in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Mark 4. I'm going to read a a very lengthy passage from Mark chapter 4, the first half of the Bible. I don't have it on the screen because it's just way too much uh, text. So if you would like, you can listen to the story. If you've got a Bible, you can follow along. I will be reading out of what's called the New Living Translation. I use a variety of different translations uh, um, as I... Study and prepare. I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with texts and I'm looking for understanding and, and tend to use texts that I feel will most help us to uh, follow and understand uh, what was the heart uh, of the Father in that material. New Living Translation, Mark 1, excuse me, Mark 4, verse 1 through 20. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. There was such a large crowd along the shore that he got into a boat and sat down and spoke from there. He began to teach the people by telling many stories, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock, and the plant sprang up quickly, but it soon wilted beneath the hot sun and died because the roots had no nourishment in the shallow soil. Other seed fell among thorns that shot up and choked out the tender blades so that it 
produced no grain. Still other seed fell on fertile soil and produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone who is willing to hear should listen and understand. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him, what do these stories mean? He replied, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. They see what I do, but they don't perceive its meaning. They hear my words, but they don't understand. So they will not turn from their sins and be forgiven. But if you can't understand this story, how will you understand all the others I'm going to tell? The farmer I talked about is the one who brings God's message to others. The seed that fell on the hard path represents those who hear the message, but then Satan comes at once and takes it away from them. The rocky soil represents those who hear the message and receive it with joy, but like young plants in such soil, their roots don't go very deep. At first they get along fine, but they wilt as soon as they have problems or are persecuted because they believe the word. The thorny ground represents those who hear the good news, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares of this life, the lure of wealth, the desire for nice things, so no crop is produced. But the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's message and produce a huge harvest, 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted passage many of us have read many times I suspect but I believe within it is a principle for how to effectively live this kingdom life that he has called us to notice if you would the very first word that Jesus used in verse 3 according to the New Living Translation was listen listen then he reinforced it in verse 9 he said anyone who is willing to hear should listen and he adds and understand I find it interesting that when Peter, James, and John were on the what was called the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus was glorified in his person, and Elijah and Moses came to him, God the Father spoke out of the heavens to them. Mark tells us this, Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son. heard that one before. Listen. To him. Father could have said a lot of things. A lot of things, you know. John and Peter and James, they're kind of, you know, they're wondering what's going on. And the Father says, listen. And I would advocate that, that we need to give more attention to listening to Jesus. Listening to the Word of God. If we're going to follow in Jesus' footsteps... We're going to need to listen to him. Priscilla and Murray and I are, are reading a um, Christian fictional series of books where there is a Christ figure named Gaul and there's some children. They're in another world. It's a little like Narnia but different. And um, in the stories occasionally there's a variety of ways that they are led. And one of them is this little pigeon who we suspect sort of represents uh, the Holy Spirit. But it's amazing how many times in one of the chapters we were reading last night, you know, they, they, here they're following this pigeon and, you know, the, the woods have opened up. They were, they were being injured and thorns and trees were crushing them. And the little pigeon comes and opens up the way. They're able to walk free. They come to a split in the road 
and they think, which way should we go? And the pigeon's down one path already, looking back up over this, come on, come on. And they go, I wonder which way. I wonder if we should go that way or that way. I mean, here they've, they've been led so wonderfully by this, this spirit, Holy Spirit character, and then they question it at the, at the crossroads. But how many of us are the same way? How many times do we have these clear senses of the leading of God to marry somebody, to go to a church, to get a job, to move to another city? And we get there and these troubles come, these circumstances, and we go, gosh, here's this fork. I wonder if I should do something else. I'll be real transparent with you at this point. Um, 1994, May, I was at a vineyard conference. Actually, John Maxwell was speaking, who is a, a leadership guru guy. And during the worship time at that uh, Anaheim Vineyard Church uh, in that May, I was kneeling on the floor. I had been involved in church planting as an assistant pastor. And uh, I'm there. We're singing a song that we still occasionally sing here, I Will Worship You. It's a song, very uh, intimate song of giving our lives, laying our lives down. And I'm kneeling there, and very clearly I hear the pigeon say, Randy, because often he says my name, you know, because it, it helps. Because then I know I'm not talking to myself because I don't usually call myself Randy, you know. I say, hey, you, or I, or me. Anyway, he says, Randy, will you be a senior pastor? Will you plant a church? And up to that point, uh, long story, I won't get into it, I had been saying through the years those were a couple things I didn't really want to do. Wanted to be a missionary, uh, wanted to be an administrative pastor, whatever, those kinds of things. Well, those became Claire's and my marching orders that led us here to plant the church in 1995. And over the first few years of our church plant, there was just extreme what looked like success. We grew rapidly. Uh, We expanded our facilities. We added staff. It was great. Awesome situation. I got notoriety in the vineyard. They wrote an article in the Equipping the Saints magazine on us and our church. They did. And um, But over the last five, seven years, we have sent out some people. There's been some challenges and circumstances, financial situations. And at this point, we find ourselves as a much smaller congregation, a solid core and group of people. But it's been a painful process, not just for me and my family, but for many that are here. And within the last year, over a number of occasions, I really thought, you know what? I don't think I've got the goods to do this. I, I just don't, not sure that I have the skill. And some of you may be thinking that same thing. I'm not sure. But each time I have come back to, I have no other marching orders. There is no second path. I, I was asked this week by a very close friend, if you weren't a senior pastor, what might you do? And I, I can speculate some things. Can't we all? This is tough. I don't like climbing this mountain. Is there something else you do? I'd like to be swimming in the ocean. I like the beach a whole lot better than climbing mountains. This marriage is really, really tough. In fact, I don't think I really want to stay in it anymore. Yeah, I think there's something else I'd rather do. What were your last marching orders? Are we going to listen? But there's something more than just listening. And the rest of the story talks about that. Let's look at the rest of the story. And identify for us this key to kingdom living that Jesus has given us here. In the story, Jesus speaks of a farmer, seed, and four kinds of soil. In the explanation of the story he gives to his disciples, he says the seed is the word of God. The farmer is one who brings the word of God to others. 
And the four kinds of soil portray four kinds of receptivity among those who hear God's word. So I want to look at these four soils, talk about these four kinds of receptivity. And as we go through them, I'd like you to be considering today, what kind of soil are you? What receptivity index are you at? And as you go to read your Bible this week, because you will, because, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. It's helpful. How else can you listen and hear what he has for you to do? I hope that you will ask yourself, what receptivity index am I right now as I'm reading these words? So let's look at them more closely. Soil number one, door number one, soil number one here on our far right, represents those who really don't hear the message at all. Listen to Mark 4:15. The seed that fell on the hard path represents those who hear the message, but then Satan comes at once immediately and snatches it away from them. This person might be described kind of as in one ear, out the other. They might be someone who finds themselves daydreaming during the sermon, um, struggling while they're reading their Bible to stay engaged and, and find themselves kind of thinking of all the things they need to do that day instead of reading the word. Um, And what happens is when they close the Bible or when they walk out the door, there's nothing there. It's it's all forgotten in one ear and out the other. The end result is there's no life change. There's no benefit to having been present to hear because they walk away with nothing. Now, that's not to say that everything that occurs here in this service or any service is all about this message because there's a message in the songs. there's There's a message in talking with one another. It's it's all the above that we come for. And in the worship, there is a laying down of our life and a giving of ourselves. And sometimes we are in such a challenged place in our life that, that we can't hear right now. I've been there. We've all been there at various times. That's, that's not a condemnation. Now, if that's normal, if that's the last six, eight months, it might be the church or the pastor But I doubt it because in a room like this, the Father's at work and we're all hearing. That's not to say that, you know what, but the Holy Spirit takes. This is not all about me, luckily. It's about him and what he does. It's his word and it's his investment. It's his sowing that happens in our lives. But anyway, here's this first one, soil number one. They really, they're in one ear and out the other ear. Soil number two represents those who hear the message, but it's forgotten when trouble comes, Mark 4, 16 and 17, the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and receive it with joy, but like young plants in such soil, their roots don't go very deep. At first they get along fine, but they wilt as soon as they have problems or are persecuted because they believe the word. This person is probably stirred by the message. They might you know, pat me on the back and say, great sermon, Pastor. They might think about it for a few days. They might keep the sermon notes, you know, in their Bible for a couple of weeks. But when challenges and difficulties, the situation at work, the situation at home comes along, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to face those challenges. The word has had no effect. It's their, their roots are not deep and they wither. The seed is sown, but again, nothing comes from it. 
Soil number three represents those who hear the message, but it becomes replaced by things in the world. Mark 4, 18 through 19, the thorny ground represents those who hear the good news, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares of this life, the lures of wealth, and the desire for nice things. So no crop is produced. This person also welcomes the message. They probably recognize its value in their life. They may even tell others about the value of the message. But all too quickly, other things begin to capture their attention. The message becomes crowded out of their thinking. And again, the seed is sown, but nothing comes from it. There is no lasting fruit. But then there is a fourth soil. 25% of the seed, perhaps. Who knows the exact amount? Falls on those who hear and accept the message. Do you remember Jesus earlier said, hear and understand? Hear and accept the message which produces fruit. Mark 4.20, but the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's message and produce a huge harvest 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. The result of their listening, the result of their hearing and accepting is a changed life. They not only hear, but they also accept, they implement the word. It becomes a part of their life. It's not just something that goes in one ear and out the other. It's not just something that sounds good, but it's forgotten when difficulties come. It's not just something that's recognized as having value only to be replaced by other things, more glittering things of the world. It's something that is welcomed and incorporated into their life. Not only is the person's life helped and benefited, but its benefit spreads to other lives. It has a multiplied effect or benefit even beyond themselves. That's what the word is supposed to do. That's what seed is supposed to do. The fruit of a seed is what? A plant. What's on that plant? More seed. And what's that for? Fruit. Flowers. The seed then gets replanted again. It gets sold. It brings in revenue. It's, it's, it's a multifaceted result. The fruit nourishes others. Good. So this process of what the Word of God is supposed to do, this listening to Jesus, is supposed to have those kinds of results. So as we come into church on a Sunday, as you read your devotional during the week, as you flip on a TV channel and watch a Christian station, listen to a Christian tape, the end result that Jesus is looking for is this kind of multiplication, this kind of effect where it becomes incorporated and there's an action that comes as a result of it. It's not just great sermon. Boy, that's good material. Well, that was a great passage. That Those are true. That's hearing. But then what's the accepting? Where's the understanding? Where's the implementation? This principle is echoed uh, in numerous places in the Bible. I want to just share a few few of them with you. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, and I will have these on the screen. 
Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was its fall. It kind of sounds a little bit like soil number two. Those are the ones who had the very thin root rock under, you know, they didn't, they didn't have, there was something that hindered their growth. So here he's portraying, and here is this passage very clearly. You must not only hear, we need to not only just listen, but we need to take action on the words. Then in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, the message translation here, I think, captures Jesus' intent. John 8, 31 and 32. Then Jesus turned to the Jews who had claimed to believe in him. If you stick with this, living out what I tell you, you are my disciples for sure. Then you will experience for yourselves the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, we're familiar with that passage, knowing the truth and the truth will set you free, but it's attached to this whole other front half. Let me read it again. Then Jesus turned to the Jews who had claimed to believe in him. Could we insert Christian there? Then Jesus turned to the Christians who claimed to believe in him. If you stick with this, living out what I tell you, you are my disciples for sure. Then you will experience for yourselves the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus is saying, here's how you can know if someone is really a follower or not. If over the long haul they're living out, they're putting into practice what I've told them. And the end result of that kind of pattern of life is one that experiences this truth in such a way that they're able to live out a life of freedom and success. I think we all want that. I think that's what we believe is available to us. And it is. It absolutely is. But the only way it's going to be available is if we listen and take action on what we hear. Last one on these. James 1, 22-25. Again, a very familiar passage, but one that echoes again this principle, this key. But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. I like this translation. For if you just listen and don't obey... It's like looking at your face in a mirror but doing nothing to improve your appearance. You see yourself, walk away, and forget your hair's all messed up and you need to shave. If you should see me in the morning. For years, my daughters have, have drawn pictures when they were little kids because when I wake up, I look like Bozo the Clown. More so now than I ever have. This, the top part of my, the little tiny tuff I have up here is straight up and then these two little clumps here on the side are straight out. So, you know, when I go look at the mirror, I frighten myself every week, ah! every week, you know, every morning when I wake up. But I don't look like that now. You've got the little tufts are all pushed down. Because I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, you know what? That looks really stupid. Now, I could shave my head and I think that looks stupid. Excuse me for those of you. Sorry, just kidding. Then, then some of you can't do anything else. Sorry, Chris. But anyway. Okay. 
I, but th- that ha- that really helped me grab this passage, I think, better than other other passages, other ways it's been translated. It's like looking at your face in a mirror but doing nothing to improve your appearance. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you keep looking steadily into God's perfect law, the law that sets you free, echoing back to John, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. We say, God bless you when people sneeze. The blessing of God, friends, is a whole lot more than a saying after you sneeze. The blessing of God, I've said this before, to bless means to bow down and honor. It is parallel to the word worship. It's what we do to God. It's what we're supposed to do to God. We bless the Lord our God. It's all through the the Old Testament and the Psalms. We bless the Lord. But friends, guess what? In the garden, when Adam and Eve were created, day six, God looked at them and the text says, He blessed them. He said, Wow, you're it, man. You're cooking. You're the love of my life. And that's what is available to us as we not just hear, but put these things into practice. This particular passage has, has throughout church history sort of been you know, really misconstrued in lots of kinds of ways. It, it has nothing to do with salvation. That's not the context of this at all. The context of James is how to live the Christian life. Starts off. How do you consider joy? Consider trials a, cha- a, jo- a challenge. Ah, consider trials a joy, knowing that the end result of them is great things. The book of James is written to Christians, to those who believe. This passage is written to those who already have experienced salvation, and he says now to go on, to continue living this life, to be followers of Jesus, to walk in His footsteps, to experience the fullness of life that He longs for you and that you long. You need to not just be hearers. You have to take action on what you've heard. So here's what I would acknowledge or declare to you as a, a key to kingdom living. That we have to listen to the words of Jesus. We have to incorporate His teaching into our lives. We have to implement its truth and take action on what it says. Do you want to follow in Jesus' footsteps? Do you want to see more of God's kingdom in your life, in the lives of others around you? Do you want to live a wise life rather than a foolish life? Do you want to experience real freedom in life? Do you want to experience a God-blessed life? Then we've got to listen to the words of Jesus and take action on them. Now I want to spend a few minutes and I want to look at uh, some passages primarily from the Sermon on the Mount and then one in addition to that. And I I want us to work through this a little bit together. Because the goal of this talk is not just for you to pat me on the back when it's all done and say, good sermon, Pastor, have a great day. The, The goal is, is that you've said, wow, okay, there's a principle of kingdom living, which is that I need to listen and apply. So I want to help us know how to do that. That's what I've done 
in one sense as I have prepared this material. I have listened. In fact, this lesson had very significant impact on my life a couple of nights ago, and I'll share that in a moment. But I'm going to look at some passages, and I want your participation. We're going to kind of just talk out loud in a minute, and, and we're, going to, we're going to interact and see if we can come to terms with of how, how might this, this work if we're going about it. The first uh, passage is Matthew 6, 16 through 18. And this particular passage is from the Sermon on the Mount, and it's concerning fasting. I thought since, you know, we're all fasting, or not all, but many of us are, are fasting, that Jesus speaks about fasting, that perhaps it would be helpful to look at what he says here and see if there's something we can apply to our lives over the next few weeks while we're doing it. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 and 18, and I'm going to move down so that I can be closer to you. For some reason, I would like that now. And hopefully the speakers will allow me to do that. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. When you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, who try to look pale and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I assure you, that is only the reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. I did that this morning, by the way. Then no one will suspect your fasting except your father who knows what you do in secret. And your father who knows all secrets will reward you. Now, again, we're a small enough group. I think we can interact here a little bit. I think it's important to understand a touch of context. Just the help. In, in this uh, Jewish culture, um, the religious would very clearly demonstrate this season of self-discipline by making it very readily known. Ashes on their head and somber look and go around droopy faces. So everybody go, wow, that guy's really cool because he's fasting. Okay, so that, that's the context. Jesus says, don't do that. Instead, do this. So we're fasting. We're culture. It's 21st century or second or whatever. What century are we in? 21st, okay. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, okay. 21st century. What might you say are some of Jesus' points here to us in the 21st century? This is the listening part. This is not the applying yet. This is just the listening and hearing. What, what is Jesus saying possibly to us in our culture today about fasting? Anybody? Not to complain. Don't do it for your own glory. It's good. Don't brag. Don't make it obvious. Between you and God. Now, I might say this. Here in our context, we have recommended an accountability partner. We're not accustomed to this discipline or hardly any of the spiritual disciplines in the Protestant church. And so... I know that for some, this is a new thing, and it's hard. It's not simple. Some of you don't need that accountability partner. You have already, you've already worked out the practice and know how to do it. But others don't. And having one other person, someone, to know what's going on and check on you can be a helpful part of this process. I don't think he's necessarily addressing that in this particular. But it is primarily a spiritual discipline done between you and God. That's, that is clear in the passage. Okay, somebody else? Any other another comment about what Jesus might be saying to us? Okay? How can we 
apply what he's saying. What action or actions might we be able to take to respond to this word that he has said? Change it now. Change it into an action. Some of the things you just said, but now change them into the ways you're going to implement it. Okay, go about your daily business. It's good. What do you mean, Bill? Set the example. Okay. Okay, so in a similar way, it's almost somewhat of a takeoff on what Joseph just said, which is to, to, by going through our life, living out our Christian, while we are yet practicing a spiritual discipline of denying ourselves for the purpose of something, which is to seek God and pray. Keep in mind, the spiritual discipline has a put off and a put on. The scriptures are full of this this pattern. That's another principle we'll talk about. I won't go there. Anyway, so what, what Bill's saying is there's, there's this example that we live by simply living out our life even while we are know that we are performing, performing spiritual disciplines or uh, denying ourselves, but we're still living the no, a normal life like everybody else. That, I think that's what he's saying. I mean, Patty, what was it that you had said? Being consistent, being faithful. Take action to what Jesus said of being responsible to God and the commitment we've made to him. Good. Okay. The idea of consideration of others. I'll give you a real good example. Uh, Claire and I were talking about this today. It's Claire's birthday. She's in California. Um, she's with her family. They're having a meal right now together. She's at her sister's house, who is just this incredible cook, and knows that one of Clara's favorite cakes is carrot cheesecake stuff. Carrot cake with the cheese, cream cheese frosting. Thank you. She knows that about Clara. Well, guess what Clara's fasting from? Sweets, desserts, and all of that. And movies. But anyway, here I'm declaring to you before everyone, God, no everyone. Anyway, illustration, it's okay. And we're working this one out, this thing. Anyway, anyway. So she and I were talking. She's going, I don't want to hurt my sister's feelings. I don't want to be prideful. Well, I'm exact, just what Becca just said. You know, look at me. Now I can't eat that because I'm... So I made this suggestion to her. I said, you know, Jesus one time was walking through the fields with his disciples on a Sabbath. And they were plucking grain and eating it. And the religious leader said, <gasps> breaking the Sabbath! Ding, 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 ding. They sent the fire trucks out to hose them down. And um, Jesus, the, the religious leaders go, what? Your, your disciples are breaking the Sabbath laws. Jesus said, wait a minute. The Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. So I said to Clara, Clara, fasting was made for us, not us for fasting. 
And what's a higher good here is loving your family and thanking them for the love they're expressing to you. I think if she offers you a piece of cake, you should eat it. And then tomorrow you'll implement again. Because we talked about her just kind of breaking it up and pushing around the pieces and (laughs) mushing it a little bit. And I thought, no, no, that's not going to work. Somebody's going to see. Anyway. All right, let's move on. Do you, do you, you get that? I mean, we, we read our Bibles and we close them and, and we don't recollect. There's no action. There's no implementation. One of the things I do in my, my journal, I, I read scriptures and I have a journal I write in or I use my laptop. I use one or the other and I have a, a journaling program on my laptop. Uh, it just depends what I'm doing, which I'd use one or the other. And I read scripture I have a passage that stands out, a verse or a short section or something. I'll usually transpose that into my journal, copy and paste. That's why I like my laptop. You copy and paste a lot faster. Otherwise, I have to write it out in my journal. And then I interact with that in, in some kinds of ways. I, I, and, and one of the things I do is what action do you want me to take from this? Anyway, just that. Okay, so giving us practice here. Uh, concerning prayer, Matthew 6, 7, and 8. When you pray... Don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered only by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, because your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. Give us our food for today. Forgive us our sins just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What might you say are some of Jesus' points here? What's he saying about prayer? Don't go to application yet. This is just listen. What did you hear? What What are some things Jesus is saying about prayer? Okay, acknowledge God's position. Revere worship. That's a, that's a good posture to be in when you go to prayer. That's good. How about the first few, the first verses? Let's just, let's just deal with those first ones. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are unanswered only by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them because your Father knows. Let's just deal with that one. What are some things he's saying there? Don't, don't do things out of habit. Okay. 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 How, how many times do you feel like people are talking to you instead of praying to God? It can be hard. I mean, a corporate prayer uh, or praying in a group, praying at the dinner table. I mean, those those it can be hard, especially for newer Christians. And, uh, and then very religious ways, there can be that situation. Okay? Some others that haven't made comments. I'd like to allow others who haven't shared to be able to jump in here. Okay? And we repeat it, and we make it a repetitive prayer. 
that we pray over and over. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah, you kind of prefaced that with this. And uh, just as a, never mind, I could teach forever. Other comments from the rest of you. You can move down into the other text if you want to make a couple of comments from what is Jesus saying here? What are we listening? What are we hearing him say? Front half of this posture, of this key. Okay, faith and trust that God hears us, that he knows that he's loving and kind, that he wants to meet our needs. Okay, let's go into application. What is some action that you can take? Those are observations, if we would call them now, from the texts. What is some application? What is something that you could do to apply this verse to make it a part of your life? Live with an attitude of prayer. Okay. Okay, talk to God as if it's just kind of he's a person that you're relating to, maybe a respectful person, maybe not father, because some of you probably yell at your dads or did. Um, we won't go there. But anyway, but, but that it's a genuine conversation with a real person. That's good. Okay. Somebody else. What action can we take to apply this passage? Okay, there, there actually is a previous couple of verses that I didn't quote from that Becca is referring to about go into a quiet place to pray. And um, there's legitimacy in separating ourselves for the purpose of prayer from the distractions uh, that we often face. Um, one more, somebody, an application, something that you can do to experience the fullness and the blessing and the kingdom, kingdom principle of applying this. Okay. Okay, going to God in the good times when we're praising Him and thanking Him, not just only when life is a mess and we're in a tragic situation and we cry out to God. There is a great tendency uh, in us as people uh, to God is there as a emergency pull switch. Right? Kind of, sort of. I will make one other comment about the passage to help us, uh, just one other little one, which is that the prayer that Jesus gives us there is a uh, an outline. R- rather than it being a repetitioned prayer, that it is a framework or an outline, and we can pray things about praise to God and that in the first part, and then we move into... Uh, a situation of welcoming his rulership, his kingdom on earth in our own lives. There's dealing with our needs, such as food, our need for food, and, and then confession. Anyway, many of you have heard teaching about that, but if, if you hadn't, that's something to do with that, if that's what you're familiar with. Um, one, uh, one more, and then we'll... Uh, two more, actually. Um, we'll do this one more quickly, so you have to jump in a little bit faster. This one's concerning enemies. Um, Matthew 5, 46. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise in the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. I'm going to preface 
this with just a couple of comments. That is that most of us, I'm confident, would say, I don't have any enemies. Because that word is just so huge. But let me give you a picture. You're a child, you're third grade, you're on the field at school, and somebody's picking on you. They're persecuting, they're picking on you. They've gathered other people and they're picking on you. You have an enemy. You do, that's it. Okay, you're at work, you're an adult. You've got a situation and there's a little bit of politics going on in the office. And other salespeople or other people are trying to get on and up. And you're getting st- you're the ladder they're using. You have the potential for having an enemy. You have an enemy. Okay, so there's a there's a real life application here. This from this. We we again we sometimes we read these things and we just I don't have any enemies. Don't even need that passage. Go on to the next one. Okay, what do you hear Jesus saying in this passage? Somebody, some people perhaps who haven't made comments, if we could bring up some of you quiet ones. I know that's hard in a group setting like this. Love those you don't feel like loving. That's good. Okay, so those enemies, those people who are using us as a stepladder we should treat them as we would as people we really like. That's what I hear him saying. Yeah, that's where that rain part's coming in, that God's sending the rain on the just and the unjust, that, that, that the scriptures are very clear. For God so loved the world, he loves each and every one that he sent Jesus Christ. And so uh, something we learn from this passage, something we can hear from Jesus is, wow, there's this opportunity here for me to relate to this person who, again, from a worldly standpoint, probably welcomes me to hurt them or to step on them or... But instead, we're being invited by Jesus to not be like the world, but to be something different. Okay, application. Most of what you've just said are applications. Anything else you want to say, though, that particularly is, what is something you can do to implement this passage? Pray for people. Okay, come up with a person in your mind right now who's an enemy, as we've just described. Come on. Picture somebody, somebody who's hard to love, somebody who's difficult at work, somebody you don't like. Think of them right now, just for a moment. What is something you can do? Everybody come up with, no, just hang on. Everybody come up with something right now from this passage. Now, wait, 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 wait. wait. Everybody got something? Okay, we're going on. The last one. This one, I'm I'm moving out of the Sermon on the Mount to a passage that I was reading the other night as part of my uh, devotional time. It also, uh, the material we've just been using could be described as didactic, meaning it is teaching for moral change. Um, This passage is now what's called narrative. It's story form. 
it, it wouldn't be as clear for us to figure out what is Jesus saying and how do I take action. That's why I wanted to pick this one. It's a little bit harder. This one is concerning faith. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Passage I've read zillions of times and I was profoundly impacted the other night. Mark 4, 35 and 41. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. As he was already in a boat, they'd been, he'd been teaching there. They started out leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. A furious squall came up and the waves break, broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. means it's sinking. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. He must have been tired. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Shh! Shut up! Stop it! Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Observations. What are, what are things you're hearing Jesus say? Somebody else who hasn't shared. Or you've only shared once. Okay, don't look at your circumstances. It's good. They didn't know who he was when they were calling on him for help either. Help. Okay. That's good. So, so something that uh, Justin is, is seeing here is this, the ability to be thoughtful about what Jesus has done, what God's done for us in the past when we're facing new and difficult circumstances. Okay, what are some things that you could do to take action about this? Okay. You know, I wonder, um, after Jesus calmed the storm, was the water taken out of the boat or did they have to bail it out still? How, how many here, this, you know, sometimes we raise hands and not raise hands and stuff, if you want to raise your hand or not. <laughs> how many of you have been in a very, very challenging, very difficult situation and it's crossed your mind, does God really love me? Yeah, right. So here is a passage that teaches us what to do in those situations. 
and to apply, to take action about what we've heard and listened, to to choose something different than what... You killing a mouse back there or what? Cockroach. Um, to, to choose a different... To make a different decision from what we're comfortable with or feels true. It feels like you don't love me right now, God. But I'm going to choose to declare your love for me. And that's where I went the other night. I, I wrote this in my journal, the very first words I wrote after uh, I read this passage. How often has Jesus told us to do something that's difficult and then we think we're going to die? But the reality is we're fearful, meaning we have put our faith in something other than Jesus. We're trusting something bad to happen rather than trusting God to do something good. Then I wrote two pages of personal prayer response, repenting and agreeing with God how I had doubted him, how I have been fearful and put my trust in something other than him. And the action I took was repentance and declaration. I repented of what I had done wrong, and then I declared my trust in him. And I, I, one of the pages is just full. I trust you for. I trust you for. I trust you for this. I trust you for my family. I trust you for the church. I trust you for my health. I trust you for my board meeting tonight. I didn't write that one down, actually. I do have a board meeting tonight, though. Does this make sense? It, it's not hard, but it's really hard. It's really hard in that it is so much easier to just close the book after we've read it. It's so much easier to just, after you go out the doors, to just go have a great dinner and have a great, you know, great or difficult week. But I want us to, I want us to make it. I want, I want each of us to be successful. I want us to be blessed people. I want us to be wise guys instead of foolish people. And there's a principle here that is that we need to listen, really listen but then we've got to take action. So that's what I would call this week's key to kingdom living. Listen to the words of Jesus, incorporate his teaching into our lives, implement its truth, and take action on what he said. The result of that kind of listening, accepting, is a changed life. When we not only hear, but we also listen, and we accept and take action on the word, it becomes a part of us. It's not just something that's going in one ear and out the other. It's not just something that sounds good but's forgotten when the challenges come. It's not just something that's recognized as having value just to be replaced with something else. It's something that's welcomed and incorporated into our life. And what that enables us then to do is to follow in Jesus' footsteps. It'll enable us to see his kingdom come to see it in the lives of others around us. It'll enable us to live life wisely rather than foolishly. It'll enable us to experience real freedom rather than and including experiencing a God-blessed life. Not only will we have a better life, but it will have its multiplied effect in that the fruit's going to go beyond just us. It's also for others. It'll spread into the lives of others and have multiplied benefit beyond ourselves. Let's pray.
Father, I want so much for us to be those who at the end of our lives don't look back and say, wow, I really missed it. But to be those to say, wow, I really got it. Lord, we're all going to stand before you someday, all of us. And you're going to welcome and love every one of us that have turned to you in faith for Christ. But your word also speaks of, how'd you do? What'd you do with what I gave you, the talents? And Lord, you've given us a lot of pieces of talent in your word, a lot of principles, a lot of wisdom. And Lord, I know in my own self, two pages of repentance, Lord, how, how often I have missed and forgotten. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us as a people to not be those who hear but don't take action, but to become doers of the word. Lord, I look for that fruit to come for each one here and their family and their businesses, our city. Lord, even as we fast over these 40 days, we welcome your kingdom to come in this city. Lord, we fast on behalf not only of ourselves, but those who don't yet know you. Lord, we are challenged and pressed and experience difficulties, but Lord, many who don't know you experience so much more horrible atrocities. Might we be those who not just have the light and cover it up, but be those who let our light shine. Help each one of us this week as we read your word, as we consider um, good news of what we hear, the principles that we know, how can we take action? What can we do to implement and to carry out what you've told us? Lord, might we be those who, like Jesus, are, are willing to say, not my will, but your will be done. Because it's the best way. I've messed up my life. I've screwed everything up every time I've tried to do it. Lord, yours is the only way. And so I welcome your way. It's not the easy path. It's not what I would choose. <laughs> but it's what I submit my life to. And Lord, I believe that it's what's best. I trust you. Lord, let that be our prayers. In Jesus' name. As we conclude, I just want to give an opportunity after the service, after I release everyone, if any of you would like to talk with somebody, would like prayer, we in our church provide an opportunity, as Joy mentioned earlier, to talk or pray with you about what you're experiencing in your life. Some of you may be up against some challenges and you, you don't know what the answer is. You're not sure what the biblical response is. And uh, these folks here are, are those who have been through training. Uh, they have been uh, prepared as leaders and are able to extend to you uh, prayer and support. And so I would welcome you. If you would like someone to pray with, someone to talk with, uh, there'll be folks here uh, at the end of our service up here at the front that would love to do that with you. Thanks for coming. Have a great week. And look forward to seeing you next week. Might you find yourselves faithful to do what you've heard him say to do this week. God bless. Have a great week.